Previously on Hauntings in the Piedmont. Then what happened next is probably the freakiest thing I've ever seen. We took you to a park and introduced you to the man who used to supervise it, who became all too familiar with someone, something he never believed in before. And then there were multiple voices. And by multiple, I mean many voices, not two, many voices. We were both petrified. So I tried, I tried to gather my composure and I looked at my partner and said, we're being pranked. And this is a good one. He sharing a belief that there's something going on at a hotel in the downtown area of the city he spent his career serving with the man who manages that hotel. Philip has a habit of uh, uh, gracing the cheek of, of, of young ladies or, or females, period. Um, he'll tap you on the shoulder. Most people describe walking down the hallway and getting that spider web on the skin feel. A man and a woman found dead who may have never left. None of them were brave enough to open the door. Um, so what they did is they threw luggage and shoes down the steps and hauled butt out the front door. A woman sharing a name with another Piedmont haunt. A name told to children in a tale most who grew up in the Piedmont can tell. The car um, could have been like a Chrysler Maxwell overturned and um, it, killed, it threw her out of the vehicle uh, and killed her instantly. And a pair of women connected to her spiritually and possibly through ancestry. I'm Fox 8's Michael Hennessy, and this is Hauntings in the Piedmont. This story takes place a little more than 15 minutes southwest of Greensboro and the Biltmore Hotel Greensboro. For generations, a story of a girl named Lydia has been told there. A mystery thought to be folklore for nearly 100 years, but... A couple years ago, paranormal authors Michael Renegar and Amy Greer claimed to have solved that story, putting a face and a different name to Lydia's Bridge. Michael died on the second week of October. About a week later, Amy agreed to come to Lydia's Bridge and brought someone else along with her to tell their story. You may also hear Amy refer to Michael as her brother. My name is Amy, A-M-Y, Greer, G-R-E-E-R. Um, paranormal author, and we are here today um, to talk about uh, Lydia. Your daughter was just saying it's been more than 10 years that you guys have spent, or it's been more than 10 years since you started investigating. What kind of pushed you to want to look into it and kind of give us the history with Lydia and the bridge? Um, this story dates back June 1923. Um, back then, um, the, the original story kind of goes like this. It, she was coming home on a, a, with her boyfriend from uh, some dance and she came in and uh, they got into the curve and, and had an accident. The problem with that is, with the type of research that I do and my brother did, we never could find a death record for this young woman who, who died out here. Um, but at that point, it could have been 
an urban legend, a thought form, but she was real. Everybody, you know, we had countless interviews with different people who had actually picked this woman up and took her to sub somewhere over on Johnson Street. And then, you know, some people were saying that she, she didn't look like necessarily a young woman. Um, in, in different researches, there were uh, a couple that had said her name could be Mary or Mary Ann. Um, and then, uh, and I'm not sure quite the date, but several years ago, uh, my brother Michael Reniger uh, had done a um, interview with uh, Destination America. And after that, I told him, I said, let's go about this a different way. Instead of researching death records and so on and so forth, let's, let's ask in some of the forums to see if we can find some hardcore evidence and maybe a news article. And you could tell that the article was rushed um, because it said the fatal was spelt completely wrong. And just so happened, her name was Anya, Annie L. Jackson. And she had died out here in June in 1923 in a car accident. The, the car um, could have been like a Chrysler Maxwell overturned and um, it, killed, it threw her out of the vehicle uh, and killed her instantly. Um, and that, you know, we, we found a real person to place with our Lydia. And, you know, ever since I was a little girl, Lydia was one of the first um, ghost stories that I ever read uh, for North Carolina ghost stories. And that book was by Nancy Roberts. And that was where brother started his kind of investigating. And then when I come into it, I started, uh, you know, into the investigation the same way with him. And um, we finally found her. Um, we found the lady who, who actually haunts out here. So that was, that was great. When you were young, you mentioned it was one of the first ghost stories that, that you heard. How do you remember that story being told to you then? Um, it was a rainy, dark night. Um, her and her boyfriend were coming home from a prom or dance and they, it was really, it was a one lane and so when they came into it, there was another car that didn't have their lights on and they crashed and it killed her instantly. Um, and her ghost haunts out here. Um, I believe that the man's name that gave the interview was Bert Harding. And this was probably, I was in second grade when I read that story in Nancy Roberts' book in my library at the school. And I thought, wow. Well, the funny thing about it is when I started alternative modeling, I ended up right out here on several occasions. It was like her calling to me, bringing me here. And I would tell brother, I keep getting led out here, you know, and, and I keep coming to this bridge, you know, and I feel like that she's talking to me, asking me to help her. And that's when we started looking into and investigating again. And then in 2017, we wrote this book together. 
and that was years of 30 years for him, um, a 10 year for me investigating on just one ghost. So, and we have a whole book uh, and you can get that on Amazon. So how does she haunt people? She's a haunted, uh, she's a hitchhiker. Um, she will flag you down to, and you pick her up, you go to take her. Um, I'm not gonna say where some people have asked or where she has asked. Um, a lot of times, like I said, in past stories, it has been Johnson Street. Um, but you pick her up, you take her home, and when you go to get her, she's, she's gone. And that's, there's been many of hitchhiker stories, but that is one of North Carolina's number one vanishing hitchhikers. And you go to your car and she's no longer there. In those experiences, the people that you've talked to that have been through stuff like that, what, what do they say she looks like, sounds like, acts like? Um, I've heard she has long, um, kind of wavy, curly hair. Um, normally it, it, it is raining um, when a lot of people have seen her. Um, and that she has on kind of a, a white dress. Um, I have also heard people say that she had on, it was more of a primitive, um, I'm gonna say 1920s kind of style, uh, pedophore type dress. Um, so not necessarily your prom dress, so to speak. Um, and that they have picked her up. Uh, Tom Beasley's account with her um, as him and his buddy seen her sitting on the side of the road down here um, by the new underpass. And when they kind of came back and, and stopped, she just looked it's very, as they put it, just horrifying. And so they took off. They didn't even allow her to, to get into the vehicle and, and go with them. So, I mean, I guess it just depends on who, who is seeing her and who picks her up. Talk about what it kind of looks like down there, what the bridge itself looks like, maybe what it looked like back then, what it looks like now. From what I understand back then and looking at maps, it was more of a one lane road. So you had to stop and then, you know, make sure nobody was coming through that tunnel and then let go through the tunnel. And from what I understand, there was another vehicle coming into the tunnel. They swerved and it, that's what flipped the vehicle and threw her from the vehicle. What does it look like now? Now, um, since the road has been re readjusted and everything, you know, it's a two-lane road that goes under the new underpass. Um, I'm hoping that Jamestown actually does um, our girl uh, justice and, and actually makes her a, um, they're supposed to do a tribute to her down there. Um, and uh, so I'm hoping that, that that happens and it's right now it, it, it looks like a torn up mess. <laughs> um, but it, when I went down there, um, I can't quite remember the year uh, that we went down there. Uh, the, it's, it's on the back of here that, that we took. Uh, there's a lot of graffiti. Um, you do get this feeling that there 
it's something kind of there. Um, you know, it kind of like the air is, is still and, and kind of it, it, not moving at all. Um, I've always thought it was a very strange place and, and considering that I've been drawn here just, you know, on several occasions. Um, we did a uh, book signing and lecture on her several years ago at the Methodist Church here in Jamestown and a lot of people came out and everything and it's really even spookier at night so you really kind of the hair stands on the back you know your hair stands on in and it's a very interesting uh, place to be. All that research led you to the young lady that's standing behind you right? Yes 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 um, her name is Robin Mitchell Taylor. Before we get to Robin we wanted to give Amy a chance to tell us a little bit about how she met Michael who again, died just about a week before we did this interview, which Amy said she was surprised she was able to make it through. I met Michael back in 2006, and he had already wrote uh, the book Roadside Revenants, and I went to Barnes & Noble and I got it. And I thought, wow, out of everybody I've ever read, this guy keeps you on the edge of your seat. This is incredible. Um, and. At that point, him and I formed uh, Project Ghost Find, which was, uh, was the reserve for the stories. Um, and then we uh, founded Camel City Spirit Seekers, and we would actually do investigating and uh, going out and researching. And, um, and I absolutely loved it. It, it, it was just, you know, it, it's been there all the time. And I had went like on my little own ghost, like ghost hunts you know, in the cemeteries or, you know, different little places or whatever. Um, but I had never actually been on an actual ghost hunt. And we were contacted back in 2007 uh, by a, a, these, they wanted to do a, a, like a ghost show. And that was one of the first times that I had ever Actually, we had been on several ghost hunts and stuff like that, but this was like a full day, you know. And the last one was a cold case. And what a cold case is, is you get no information about what paranormal activities have happened. And you have to come to your own determination before whoever it is that you're doing the, the investigation for tells you what has happened or what they've experienced. And it ended up being at, um, I'm not going to say their names, uh, but old bosses of mine who used to run Spirit Halloween. And they had a, a, a house in uh, Moxville, and it was quite interesting. And at that point, I got to learn from a lot of colleagues, a lot of veterans. You know, I look at, at Michael as a veteran in the field, um, but another veteran, uh, Dr. Alvin Prophet which uh, is a parapsychologist and so I got to learn from some really great people how to you know paranormal investigate and that kind of trickled off several years ago um, when Michael's and my health kind of depleted and um, we decided then you know we would just continue the research and, and writing of, of the ghost stories which I absolutely, that's the part of it that really is, I think, that, because I can research the history and, 
you know, actually be able to put history with a legend. You know, you might have this legend of, of Lydia, but without those death certificates, without that history, she's a suburban legend. But when you have all the rest of it, you know, it really gives you a whole nother broad perspective of, of what hauntings actually are. That it is someone that lived and that they are at unrest and that's why they continue to haunt the area that they are haunting. What was it like when you discovered the, the article that had the information in it and you went down the path and you go toward finding a family member? What was that like? Uh, was so, what was that journey? It was so funny because that was what I told Michael. I was pushing him and I said, Michael, I said, we, we've been looking for this needle in a haystack for all this time. I said, we just, keep running into dead ends. So I said, let's do this differently. Let's go on these, some of these forums and start asking questions. It just so happened, a girl was going at High Point, uh, High Point University, was doing her thesis on this story. And she ran across that article. And he sent that to me. He says, look, you've got to look at this. And I blew it up on I'm like, I said, that's her. Is this is it. This is it. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is it. This is the needle in the haystack we've been looking for forever now. So it was, it was exhilarating. Um, and so to have family, you know, of our famous Lydia, you know, that was amazing. I mean, because now everything kind of come together for once, you know, it wasn't just, okay, well, we're searching this urban legend. You know, which, which was fine, but if you had asked me this about any of this in 2011 when Michael and I, when we first come out with uh, Ghosts of the Triad, I said, I don't want to hear nothing else about this story. I have done this and done this and done this and I'm so tired of researching this and here it is again, you know. But now, I love it. It's one of my number one favorite stories in North Carolina. What is it like? To know that this story has such wide appeal probably across America to some extent among people who really search out ghost stories but especially in North Carolina it's it is your own the top story that all the kids hear it's exhilarating up. it's exhilarating I can still remember the excitement I felt when I first read it in second grade um, and and I actually asked my grandpa I said would you take me out he says I am not doing such a thing <laughs> I said okay you know, I just kind of left it because I thought, well, you know, if he wanted to take me, he would take me. But I think he thought I was silly, but he knew that I really liked it and I enjoyed the stories. You good? Mm -hmm. All right. Same thing for you. Do me a favor. Say, spell your name and give us your title and why we are here today. Okay. Robin Mitchell Taylor, R-O-B-I-N-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-T-A-Y-L-O-R. I am the great niece to Annie L. Jackson. And you're somewhat of an investigator in your own right. My genealogy's family investigator. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so when did you first hear the story of Lydia's Bridge? Like Amy, I grew up knowing Lydia. I'm born and raised here in Greensboro, so the local history 
ghost story is Lydia's Bridge. I've known it all my life. I've actually been through the bridge, you know, so it's, it's been with me all my life. How do you remember it initially being told to you? You were obviously young when you first heard it, so how much did it kind of creep you out? You know, rainy night, girl and guy coming back from a dance, car accident, she dies, and she's just trying to get home. She's trying to find her way home. And, you know, someone will pick her up, take her to the address that was given, and by the time that they get there or knock on the door, she's gone. And then the mother goes, oh yeah, my daughter, you know, she died, you know, but that couldn't have been her, so. That was basically the story that I've grown up listening to and reading about. But how much did that scare you when you were younger? How often did you think about that? Didn't scare me. It was just folklore. And so it was just, just an, a neat story. Another one that was like, oh yeah, you know, kind of like the other one was Devil's Trampling Ground. <laughs> so your local history stories didn't creep me out or anything, so. When did you first meet Amy and Michael? Was that the first time that you figured out that you may have been related to quote unquote Lydia? Well, back in 2006, I was started really getting into doing my family genealogy. So, you know, doing what you do, you sign up for Ancestry and you start look, you know, putting in family names. And um, I put in my grandmother's name and here comes the census records and everything. And I'm looking and I'm like, wow, my grandmother had more aunt, you know, more sisters and brothers than I ever remember. I remember two, a brother and a sister, and that was it. So I took down all the names, dates of birth, and things I could get, and went to the Greensboro Public Library and started trying to find death certificates. And I did run across Annie's death certificate, and what was significant was it said that she died in a car accident. And I'm like, oh, wow got to be an article about this car accident so I want to know more about it and so go to the microfiche get the story and I start reading it and I'm in the public library reading this and I'm like going oh my goodness I think my aunt could be Lydia and I thought nah, nah, nah. I kept reading it and reading it and I'm like yeah I think she really could so you know tell my sister tell a couple of cousins I'm like did you know that my, our grandmother had this sister and she died in a car accident and it was out here on the Greensboro, you know, Dreamstown Road and I think she's Lydia. And they're like, oh, you're crazy. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, you kind of stick it in the back of your head and you just keep on going. And so about three years ago, about 2017, it was sometime in June, a friend of mine reposted one of Michael's um, posts that was talking about Lydia and that they had found the article in her death certificate. And they're like, well, we got a name to this person now. It's Annie L. Jackson. And I'm like, oh, somebody else believes it too. I, I'm not the only one. So I reached out to him, sent him a message and said, hey, I want to be, you know, a part of your group, you know. And I said, and so he goes, oh, I guess you're interested in Lydia. And I said, well, yeah, I said, uh, this Annie L. Jackson was my great aunt. And he was like, 
oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding. He goes, you're not kidding me, are you? You, you? Please don't kid me. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. She was my grandmother's sister. And so that started the um, relationship with Amy and um, Michael and helping him out and answering questions for him about Lydia, Annie and, you know, her family and things that she did, how, you know, and I didn't know much about her because I didn't know she existed. But I had taken, um, you know, photos of where she, um, her gravesite, her, her tombstone, and, um, and I actually had a picture that came across the family Bible that we believe is actually a picture of Lydia or Annie. So we think that that's her. It's about the right time period. And um, I know it's one of my, my grandmother's sisters. So we're pretty sure that's her. So it was kind of interesting. So Knowing that you have this tie to such a kind of well-known story that's kind of ingrained in the fabric of this entire area of the state and it's known somewhat across the country too and what's it like being that person that has that tie oh i love it <laughs> you know you grow, you grow up with lydia and now you know that this person this real person that had was killed in the car accident and we really do believe that she is the Lydia ghost. It's kind of it's it's nice to be connected to that. So it's like, well. what do you want to ask? I don't know who you've shared the story with, or sitting down drinking a cup of coffee or tea at a place with some friends, and you've said, you know, hey, I'm related, or if the story's come up in any kind of way. But what if that's happened? What kind of reaction do you get from people? kind of like what I got from my cousins was like no and I'm like and you lay the facts out hey look you know this is when the the story start about the time the story started here's the here are the articles saying that she was killed instantly in a car accident on the same road in the same area rainy night hey you know it's you know it's just too similar so and they're like, they end up telling me, well, oh, that's kind of cool. So, you know, they, they, once you lay that out, they're like, that's, that's interesting. And when I come out here now or pass by, you know, you, you do know, you do know who this person is. And so it kind of gives you a little, like, wonder she'll show up for me, you know, but, I haven't been out here at night time. <laughs> 10, 10 o'clock is my top bedtime. <laughs> <laughs>When we were done with Amy and Robin, we talked a little more about other ghost stories the Piedmont holds. She comes and tells her grandmother, 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 there's a little man with a red cap and he's begging me to come to come to see him. One of them being the little red man. The little red man is actually the man who's a little fella with a red cap. But in the shorthand of this little girl's telling, it was a little red man, a man who, a little man of stature with a red cap. In Winston-Salem, particularly Old Salem. They don't have witches. They made a misjudgment. 
Andreas Kremser was down digging in the trench, undercutting the bank, and it gave way. And the weight of the soil collapsed on him. He was only buried for a few minutes, broke some bones initially, but suffered more internal damage than was really apparent. And uh, although he was pulled out alive, he died soon thereafter. But while the Little Red Man may be the most well-known old Salem ghost story, it's well-documented, again, with a name to go with the legend. Uh, a little seven-year-old kid named D.H., little D.H., or David, um, who loved, as all seven-year-olds do, to go sledding. And on a winter morning, um, he came down Bank Street in the early aughts, just at the time that the streetcar was coming through, and the streetcar hit him. With many historic places, there are several ghost stories to be told. That's next time on Hauntings in the Piedmont. If you like the podcast, rate it, comment on it, tell a friend, get the word out. Hauntings in the Piedmont is written and reported on by me, Michael Hennessy. Our editor is Chris Weaver.